What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football, Bleacher Reports, College Football, and NFL Draft Podcast. I'm Matt Miller, joined because it's Wednesday by my buddy Connor Rogers, who I hope does not have the cold that I have. I apologize for my voice today. It's going to be a fun one. I am well recovered from Baton Rouge. I feel good and ready to go, and that's important because we got a really good show for you guys today. We are going to reveal not our big boards, but our little boards, our top 10 players <laughs> for this year's NFL draft. We don't want to throw too much at you guys just yet. Of course, we're going to do stock watch. We got to see two powerhouse programs this weekend in LSU, Georgia. Matt and I were just talking about how we caught up on as, as many games as possible. So a couple other players around the country. And of course, we'll always go around the league, some scouts buzz. And Matt has a narrative he wants to kill. So a loaded rundown for you guys today. Yeah, load a rundown. Connor might be carrying a lot of the load so that uh, my voice ain't cracking like I'm 13 again. But it is, it is going to be fun. Uh, before we jump into it and talk a lot, a lot about injuries, unfortunately, I do want to just thank again the people at LSU. Uh, Jacob Hester, thank you for stopping by. The awesome people from LSU football for uh, the warm welcome they gave us. The folks at Block Party made it a great tailgate. Uh, and then all you guys, everybody who came out. We had a blast, as you probably saw or heard. Uh, it was a great time. So thank you to Baton Rouge for really like, opening it up to us. We're, uh, we're now, we're prepping for Joplin. So this will be a different kind of tailgate. There's going to be there's not even as many people in Joplin, I don't think, as there were in that stadium on Saturday. So it's going to be a smaller, intimate affair, uh, but it, it's going to be fun. So definitely check out Twitter for those details. And then uh, Thanksgiving weekend, Ohio State, Michigan, the big game, we're going to be there. So Definitely get on that stick to football Twitter or Instagram if you haven't already so you can get those details. But let's move right into this, bud. Uh, injuries. Uh, as we were at the LSU-Georgia game, uh, a couple big ones happened. Porter Gustin, uh, and a linebacker prospect from USC, someone who unfortunately over the course of the last two years just has not been able to stay healthy. Now he's out again for the year. Uh, and I, I think this is a guy, man, two years ago, we were talking about once he's eligible, this might be a first round prospect. Now we have him in a senior year and you're really starting to wonder, you know, if, if you're this hurt in college, are you ever going to be able to stay healthy for the NFL? Yeah. Scouts are going to have a lot of questions about that. Of course, combine medicals are going to be a gigantic issue for him. It's really disappointing because when you look at a guy like Porter Gustin, you said it, Matt, we've talked about him and been really excited about him for not just last summer, but the summer before that, too, when we previewed position groups. So, you know, when it comes down to it, do we think he could be a good player? Yes, but you have to be able to stay on the field. This kind of plummets his draft stock. Another player that it feels like it came out of nowhere and he was I had him going fifth overall to the Cardinals in our first mock draft on the show last week. Wide receiver DK Metcalf out of Ole Miss. This is a little scary because it's a neck injury. He will miss the rest of the season. And I think you raise a really good question on the show today in the rundown. Does he declare for the NFL draft now anyway? Yeah, I, I think that is like the big question, right? Um, what what do you do? And it's really kind of unprecedented. We've, you know, to see a guy with a neck injury. I mean, we saw Mike Williams at Clemson a couple of years ago, you know, unfortunately first game he runs into the goalpost, fractures his neck. And it's like, okay, well, what do you do uh, with DK Metcalf? I, I think this is a, one of those times where we almost have to hedge and be like, okay, well let's take a minute and breathe and find out about this kid a little bit more. You know, does he need to declare? Sometimes these guys are coming from situations that aren't great and they yep. actually need to get to the NFL quickly in order to support themselves, maybe support their family. With DK Metcalf, I honestly don't know his background enough. Uh, and then also, 
you know, what are you like academically? Sometimes these guys head into a junior year and they know, okay, I'm jumping to the NFL after this year anyway. So I'm not really taking class all that seriously. I and mean, what's his academic standing? You know, is he able to come back? Because that definitely happens. We see it every year where guys that we don't think should be entering the draft have to because of academics. But with DK, I know you loved him. He, I think he was your top receiver, right? Yes, he was. So, I mean, there's a lot of love out there. I had him in the first round too. So it, depending on the severity of the neck injury, I mean, I, I still think you probably come out because you got a chance to be a top receiver in the class. But anytime you hear neck surgery, it's still scary. So I, I think there are a lot of questions about, you know, how's this going to look in a week, in a month, in three months? Can because, he work out for right. the draft? That's my it, biggest question. Like this is a you. guy... Yeah. That at six foot four, two hundred thirty pounds, and is winning down the field. He was an SEC All Freshman in two thousand seventeen, former four star recruit, U.S. Army All American. The expectations were very high, and he's still twenty years old. He's a physical freak. It, he needs to work out because that can separate him from a hey top fifty player to whoa top twenty lock because he's right. that kind of athlete. So don't, you know, if he can't work out, it, it does him such a disservice, especially for a young player. You can get healthy. You can go back to school. I think Ole Miss is, it's a fine situation for him. But if he is ready and, and he recovers from this in time, then I totally see your argument for, yeah, go to the NFL because you are ready to go then if you're healthy. Yeah, and you're you're so right. I'm glad you said that, man, because he's 6'4", 230. That's a big receiver. Guess what the number one question is going to be? Can he run? Speed. Can he separate? What is his speed like? Only way to prove that's on the track. And it, yeah, so if he can't work out, I think that does affect it. And it it is, you know, I think interesting. He's a redshirt sophomore, so he has definitely has time. But I mean, he only had 26 catches this year. So I think there would be questions about that. Like, man, has he put enough tape out there? But it is going to be one of the more interesting situations, I, I think, to monitor and track of, you know, and if. Hopefully for Ole Miss, because of recruiting, they can get an answer from him pretty quickly on what he plans to do. Uh, one more uh, around the league that I want to get to, and you put this in here, and I love it because this is, I actually don't know the answer. It's new, yeah, it's very interesting. Who would be the early offensive rookie of the year? Man. I mean, like, would it be Baker Mayfield, who has kind of lit a fire under the Cleveland Browns? Would it be Sam Darnold, who has the Jets very competitive right now? Is it Saquon Barkley? The Saquon one is so interesting because production wise, he's averaging over five yards a carry and he he has four. He has 40 catches already in over, six games in six games. He's got six total touchdowns like statistically in the NFC. It's Saquon Barkley and then everyone else. Right. I mean, just in terms of volume, but he's been really good. Let's not get that. Forget how bad the New York Giants have been. Saquon Barkley has been excellent, and it's a runaway for him in the NFC. I think when you look at the AFC competition, it's really interesting because Sam Darnold has turned it on these last two weeks. Yeah. Where it's like, whoa. But, you know, Baker Mayfield, of course, is a guy that you think would be in the driver's seat as well. Josh Allen's hurt now and struggling. You know, when it comes down to it, the, these are the two guys to watch for the offensive rookie of the year on, on the AFC, AFC side of things and the two guys to watch for the future of the quarterback position in the NFL. Yeah, you're right. Sam Darnold has turned it on. I don't know if folks realize yet. He's completing right at 60% of his passes, 1,300 yards, nine touchdowns, and he does have seven picks, but playing very well. Uh, Baker Mayfield, by comparison, 55.6%. 
just over a thousand yards, four touchdowns, five interceptions, and he hasn't played as many games. So the numbers aren't going to look as good, but I, I do think that it is probably down to those two guys as far as in the AFC, you know, who's going to come out, maybe Sonny Michelle, uh, who has been lights out very for impressive. the Patriots. Very, very good. Maybe he can, can, you know, over the next 10 weeks, 11 weeks, make enough of a statement to be in that area because you know, we'll see Baker uh, struggled a little bit on Sunday. Uh, Darnold was obviously very, very good in a shootout. So it, it's going to be, I think, really, really fun to watch and see where those where the race goes because, yeah, we're not going to stop tracking these guys. Calvin Ridley has six touchdowns. He might be in the running God. as well when it's all said and done. So maybe, maybe my Saquon Barkley and then everyone else conversation actually is a little more interesting because Ridley has been way more productive. It's like the anti-Julio yeah. Jones. It's like, oh, we need six. Let's find Calvin Ridley. Yeah, and, and on defense, you know, like Bradley Chubb turned has it been on. He's very, turned it very on. good lately. Yes. Derwin James has been good. Darius Leonard has like a million tackles. So it's like, this is a pretty good rookie class. It really is. It's really fun. What we're seeing like production-wise. Denzel Ward has been phenomenal. Uh, Dante Jackson's got some picks now. It's uh, Jesse Bates. Yep. It's a stats-based award more often than not, which is why I think, you know, Barkley, assuming he could stay healthy, even on a very very bad team. They're so bad runs away with it here. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's, you know, it is interesting when you look at the quarterbacks and, and like you said, the, these defensive players turning it on. So, all right. Uh, now, as we try to do every single week, we're going to do a little scouts buzz. Something I want to talk about in this year's draft that I've heard early on. You always get feedback of, is this a bad draft? Is this a good draft? What position groups are strong? Which ones are weak? The overall feeling, you know, after polling is that, the top position groups in this class, and this is very rare because it's often not the case, the pass rusher group stands out. And it's not, this is something we'll talk about with our big boards later, it's not just Nick Bosa or even Ed Oliver, Ed Oliver from the interior. Cleland Farrell really looks like a top 10 kind of lock. Ja'Kai Polite from Florida. You get into the next batch of guys, you have Montez Sweat, Brian Burns. This is the rare year where we looked at it last year, Matt, and, and all the teams were super high on Bradley Chubb. And then a select few were high on Marcus Davenport. And Harold Landry had some medical issues where he dropped to the second round. This year, it seems like all of the scouting buzz is around what could be a very special edge and interior group. Yeah, it, it really does. I mean, I, I wrote a while back. I was talking to some scouts about, you know, where's the strength in this class? And they were like, if you need a D lineman, this is it. Great. Maybe corner. Corner looks pretty good too, but skill players, uh, not great. <laughs> and, you know, like there's not that runaway quarterback prospect. There's not the Heisman Trophy winners like we had last year with Baker and Lamar Jackson. There's not a, a generational running back in Saquon Barkley. So it is, you know, for those of us who make a living talking about the NFL draft, this is not the sexiest year. You're not going to have the the traffic just handed to you because of Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson and Saquon Barkley. You got to go get it. And I think be a little more creative is, as you know, content producers, but uh, you're absolutely right. The the position groups, it seems like there's a hierarchy almost of like great average. And then, Oh man, please somebody, anybody come out and, and save some of these groups. So yeah, uh, one narrative, I want to kill a new segment. We, we brought in a couple of weeks ago, killing the narrative, uh, a popular thought right now. And, and maybe it's because we were in Baton Rouge and, and LSU fans were having some fun with it was that Jake from, that all Saturday night, I kept hearing uh, Jake Fromm is not any good. Jake, how is this your number one quarterback for 2020? Jake Fromm's not any good. 
And something that we see far too often is people have a recency bias or you just can't shake a bad game. I remember it with Jared Goff. He throws five picks in a game of college. Everybody's, oh my God, this kid's not any good. He's not bad now, right? Looks pretty good. One game does not kill your stock. Yep. And it should not influence our opinion of you as a player. Not one bad game. If you have five bad games out of 16, okay, that's a little different. One bad game should not build uh, your entire feeling and thought about a player. So I think the uh, the look at whether it's Jake Fromm or, you know, it, I can remember it being Miles Garrett or Ed Oliver doesn't have the stats people expect this year. So you automatically go to, well, this guy must not be any good. All the draft guys have to be wrong about this. When I think the truth of the matter is you really have to wait. And there's a reason why we evaluate evaluate not only one season, but sometimes multiple seasons because you can't get caught up on, on just one game. I, I completely agree. And I'm glad you brought this up because I have the perfect, perfect scouting example for myself. Patrick Mahomes versus Iowa State. I looked at that game against what I think is one of the most underrated coaching staffs in all of college football with Matt Campbell, the head coach of Iowa State, uh, his defensive coordinator, John Haycock. Mahomes went 18 of 36 for 219 yards with two picks against Iowa State. And I looked at that game and I said, man, I get why people see that Patrick Mahomes can be an absolute superstar, but this was the sample against what I would consider not a pro defense, but a very well-coached defense where it'll only get harder than this at the NFL. I have some questions and concerns, and I can't put Mahomes as the best quarterback in this class and use that game as such a large sample size. And like you said, that's a mistake. And those are things you learn from because people have bad games and teams and coaching staffs have bad games. And you can only take so much from an individual game. All right, everyone. Now, as we do every single week, it's time to break down Stockwatch. This is obviously a very fun week because we got to see a lot of special players at LSU with Georgia in town. But we did get to catch up on some other games. Matt, I know you want to kick things off with a player you are very excited about seeing. Spoiler alert, a player that might appear in your little board later. So take it away. I love the little board thing. That's fucking hilarious. Uh, yeah, for me, dude, it's Devin White. And I talked him up all day before the game. People would ask, you know, is there any way that LSU could beat Georgia? Be like, yeah, because Devin White in that defense. And it, we talked to Jacob Hester about it. It was like, you know, this is a dude that played running back and, and he still has that mindset at times. And he definitely has those hips in the burst. But now you're starting to see the, the instincts of a top tier defensive player. So Devin White stock up for me and. He's starting to get into that range of ranking for me, as you're going to find out on the little board that might be on par with a Miles Jack. If I had to do a pro player comparison right now for Devin White, it's Miles Jack before the injury at UCLA, where he's just faster than everybody else. And he's just a little bit, little bit smarter than a lot of the offensive linemen he's seeing right now. So the way that he could close on the ball, the plays he's making, super impressive. I think what's so important to note about Devin White, too, is because people are like, well, he's struggling through traffic or sometimes he doesn't read the play. He's been getting so much better so drastically for such a young player at a new position, something we talked about. And if you didn't listen to the Monday show with Jacob Hester, I definitely recommend downloading that and listening to the segment. White is a former running back. 
transitioning to linebacker where he's put on a lot of muscle and he's kept his athleticism, his sideline to sideline speed. What was the one thing in person, Matt, if there was one that you said, oh, that's confirmed or I didn't know he had that when you were actually at the game rather than seeing the tape? Yeah, I, I think just seeing him in the open field, you know, a lot of times on tape, it's hard to get that perspective of, oh, I see the play developing and then watching that he's already on a path to it. So I think just the read and react ability is what was super impressive to me. And and I mean, you know, man, we go to a lot of games together. You can watch a guy on tape and be like, oh, he's athletic. There's no substitute for seeing a guy in person and being like, oh, that's how fast he is. Or that's how big he is. That's how well he moves. So that's what it is for me. It's just like you're really able to round out that picture that you see of the player. I completely agree. It, it's just that in-person speed, it was super impressive. Um, the what, read and react was just clean. There's things he can do that you simply cannot teach. The, here's a really good example. I liked Darren Lee a lot as a prospect. After his first two years with the Jets, I was so nervous that it was such a miss because he was still struggling handling traffic now, the splash play sideline to sideline were exciting, but he was a below average linebacker, especially for a first round player. Year three, because he declared as a redshirt sophomore, year three in the NFL, he has three interceptions already. Everything is clicking for him in coverage, and he looks like an above average starting linebacker. Sometimes it takes time. And with these athletic linebackers that switch positions, like Miles Jack was a running back, Darren Lee in high school played defensive back and quarterback, Devin White played running back. It takes time. But these guys do things that you simply cannot teach. They are born with it. So that's why he's going to be a highly valued player at the next level. And that's going to be in this year's draft. One game I did have to catch up on because it took me so late. Iowa State beat West Virginia. Right. We, I, did, it, there was so much from? going on because I saw Florida was on upset alert. UCF was on upset alert. Notre Dame was on upset alert. I was like, holy shit. Uh, Texas, a little scare in the beginning against Baylor. Those teams all held on. West Virginia got the shit kicked out of them by Iowa State, and I didn't even notice until about 24 hours later. Once again, this is such a well-coached Iowa State team, but David Montgomery had his this-is-who-he-is game. We've been waiting to see the yards he can create after contact. The thing that I see people complain about all the time is, oh, he always gets run down. He doesn't have breakaway speed. That's why he's not a first-round player. Neither does Kareem Hunt. Neither does Kareem Hunt. He's not a first-round player. That does not mean he's not a very good... I think, I will say it now, with Rodney Anderson hurt, I have not seen a better draft-eligible running back prospect than David Montgomery. And I don't think he's a first-round player. I won't have a first-round grade on him. But I do think right now, he's the best running back prospect I've seen this year. And I've seen him in person with you at TCU, where I said, okay, looks the part in person. He's a legitimate compact 230 pounds of muscle and that's why guys bounce off him at the line of scrimmage every time i don't need the home run hitter i need a guy that will convert first downs time after time again even when he has no help a guy that can create yards on his own i love what i saw from david montgomery against west virginia when i got to watch the tape late last night and i think man you know come out of school he should be a top 50 pick i think it's as simple as that in a weak running back class Teams will need starting running backs, and this is the guy. It's funny. It's a circle, right? He was our top running back over the summer. He had a stock down week. Yeah, I said it. I was like, what? Yeah. It's crazy, man. Back on top. All right, stock down for me. I'm not going to be nice this week. I've been been way too nice in in previous shows. 
Three straight losses for Mizzou. Three straight games with an interception for Drew Locke. I caught my shot Thursday night when we were recording this that he would throw two picks. Yep, you did. He threw two picks. Looked awful. This is a guy who in the last three games has not completed 50% of his passes. Uh, Excuse me. He completed exactly 50% against Alabama. 48 against Georgia. 47 against South Carolina. 50 against Alabama. That ain't getting it done, buddy. And and I don't want to hear the, the argument that he doesn't have talent. He has talent. We've broken it down. He has a running back who will play in the NFL. He has a tight end that will probably be a top round two pick. He has a wide receiver that's going to be a mid-round pick. He has talent. Drew Locke doesn't have accuracy. That's why we're seeing him struggle. I just don't see it, man. Stock way down. Look, the round one talk is done for me. Man, Ra- I'll, t- I'll tell you what. If I was putting a grade on him today, he'll go on day two because that's just how the quarterback situation works in the NFL. He's a day three player grade-wise. Day yes. three. But it's not he's not that different than AJ McCarron to me. He has a stronger arm, but in terms yeah, of like, right. in terms of like decision making and the flawed mechanical issues, I man, I just I don't see it. I never have seen it. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, no, it's I'm I'm glad you said it. Uh on a lighter note. Um, stock up Preston Williams. This is someone who has not really gotten any love I've seen so far. He's quietly been really, really good for Colorado state. I think the reason a lot of people forgot about him is he was at Tennessee transferred. He had to sit last year. Yeah. Six foot four, 210 pounds, just a go-to target in this Colorado state offense. You look at him. He's gone over a hundred yards in three of their games already. And this isn't some electric, passing offense when it comes down to it you know he's played well against good teams even against florida when they got blown out nine catches 106 yards against new mexico this weekend and win nine catches 93 yards and a touchdown he's the go-to target in that offense i'm kind of starting to lean with you i thought this was a really good wide receiver class at first with metcalf being out for the year that changes things a lot I- i've really cooled on to kill harry a lot because of speed I'm excited about Preston Williams. I I think we're looking for an under-the-radar receiver, and this looks like the guy to me as I continue to catch up on his tape in what's been an impact year one at Colorado State. Yeah, I remember Melo actually talking about him or telling me about him over the summer. I was like, hey, there's this transfer from Tennessee that you need to check out. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Um, And he's good. Yeah, like you said, he's really taken off. Um, I've only watched, I think like maybe one and a half games. And I I think I watched the Colorado game where he wasn't at his best, but I know against Arkansas, he absolutely went off. So I'm excited to dig in on him more. I'm glad that you're ahead of the curve, but he is a a true junior or no, I guess he would be a red shirt junior, but definitely like the, the size that he brings and what we've seen statistically, because if there is a strength in this receiver class, it's the small guys. It's like Debo Samuel and Marquise Brown. It's yep. not the 6-4 unless Colin Johnson from Texas declares. Then, and uh, um, Kel- uh, Harmon. Right. If Kelvin uh, Harmon declares, then we have some bigger guys. That out. Yeah. It's all right. It happens, man. There's a lot of names floating around in that, the old noggin. All right. Last stock up for me, and it's LSU. We talked all week about, oh, we're so bummed they lost to Florida. This game isn't going to be any good. It was supposed to be two versus five. And they showed up. Oh, my God. The fans were amazing. Awesome. That stadium is rocking. I wish it had been a night game because I got sunburnt. But beautiful atmosphere and a huge win for them. And I, I don't. I didn't see it coming. I, I straight up picked Georgia. Thought Georgia was going to just stomp them because of how great that offense was and all the, the playmakers they have. And we didn't see it happen. 
Fromm struggled. Greedy Williams, Devin White, and Grant Delpit showed why they're three of the best defenders in college football. But congrats to Coach O. Stock way the hell up on LSU. Man, what a program. What a place. Um, you know, a special shout out to everybody that stopped by the tailgate. Baton Rouge is a special place. I'll say it's as simple as that for football, just the people that are there. I mean, we got fed at multiple tailgates. It was just, uh, you know, I think yeah, our buddy Philip Renfro brought us to his tailgate. Oh, yeah. And we, I mean, the amount of food we had, it was awesome. Would 10 out of 10 would do again. Yeah, uh, and he he got a free ticket to the did. game out of that. Yes, so. he did. I sat with him, and my goodness, the battle between LSU and Georgia fans. If you didn't <laughs> see it, scroll down my Twitter timeline and just watch the video of the Georgia fan and AJ Green. Enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> Enjoy it Enjoy while, while it lasts. lasts. That's oh cute. Enjoy it while it lasts. Well, guess what, LSU fans? You get to enjoy it for as long as you want because that win was awesome. All right. Uh, you know, two more stock ups real quick. I thought Elijah Holyfield, I, not a good day for Georgia. Nothing really impressed me about them. I thought Baker was okay. Jake Fromm was a huge letdown for me. Elijah Holyfield looked really good, though, in the backfield for them. And our last stock up, because everyone's been overthinking him. Everyone's been screaming. Why doesn't he make plays? Uh, fuck you to all those people. Ed Oliver, two sacks, a forced fumble, six tackles, and a 42-20 win over East Carolina. Ed Oliver, we're going to talk about him in a minute. Guy's pretty good. Not bad. Not a bad football player who I'm glad that you're... I feel like every other week, one of the three of us that hosts this show will be like, hey, don't panic. Ed Oliver's still really, really good, not only as a college player, but as a draft prospect. So God bless you for doing the Lord's work and keeping him up there. All right, we are back like the Texas Longhorns, and it's little board time. Michigan? Like Michigan. (laughs) Oh, like Notre Dame. Yeah, Uh, woo! I can't wait to do the postseason show where we I, I want to find a way to like get the clips of all the dumb shit we said yeah. <laughs> and we'll just like boom roast ourselves of like, oh, hey, remember when Melo didn't rank Notre Dame in his top 25 or like remember when I shit all over Michigan or uh, all the things we've been wrong about. We just need to. That would be fun. Let's just have a. I'm down. You know. We could do a back-to-back of me saying David Montgomery stuck down and stuck up. <laughs> Virginia Tech's going to make the playoffs. Oh, yeah. my God. That's yeah. my that's my best moment of the year. Ooh. I I explain, I, tell, I explain the entire schedule on the show, and they literally lost that week to old fucking Dominion. It happens. It happens. All right. Let's get into some predictions that we know will be right. <laughs> Our top 10 players as of right now. That's right. Starting at 10. It, starting at 10. Let's just... I'm ripping right into it. Rashawn Gary, defensive lineman, Michigan. Yes, he's been banged up this year. And I I know that like they are not putting him in the best positions to succeed because they're asking him to do things, play on the nose, stand up on the outside. And it's giving someone like Chase Winovich on the opposite edge a lot of clean looks where we're seeing the numbers from him. Rashawn Gary is going to get away from Jim Harbaugh and he's going to test like a monster and he's still going to be a top 10 to 15 pick. That's my prediction. He's still up there for me. Man, I don't think it's that crazy at all. I mean, everyone loves the raw talent. You see it in spurts and flashes. Some believe he's being played out of position, and he's been okay. That's the thing. He hasn't been bad. I think that's what we forget so often is that he has not been bad. Um, I'll rip through three in a row here. Number 10 for me, tight end Noah Fant out of Iowa. 
I this is my love bold, him. This is my bold prediction. Will be a much better pro player than college player. I think he was built to succeed in a pass happy offense that uses the tight end up the seam. I think he's a great effort blocker. So I, I really like him. And it's crazy to have a tight end top ten. It really goes against my rules because I I don't like doing that. But there was no one I could put above him at that 10 spot. Number nine, Jeffrey Simmons. We've talked about how there might be some off-field concerns, of course. But he's been so good this year. He's a powerhouse up front. I think he can play in multiple alignments. And he could generate pressure on the quarterback. And when you could do that from the interior, it matters. It makes a big difference. Number eight, somebody we just saw this week, Greedy Williams. I do think he's the top corner in this class. I do want to make it clear with people. I don't think he's a Denzel Ward Jalen Ramsey, Patrick Peterson type prospect. He's not that guy, but he's a very, very reliable, long physical cornerback that will probably be an impact player as a rookie right away. I I have some questions about the deep speed turning and running, but overall he's, he is as advertised and he's just a really, really rock solid defensive back. Yeah. And and I'll rip through a couple here because I've got some D backs uh, to get to as well. Number nine for me is Raekwon Davis. Uh, I still love, I, I know his numbers haven't been as good this year. I think when we talk about guys as pro prospects, though, to be 6'7", you know, 315 and be able to move like he does, you could play him all over the defensive line, and Alabama does that. So Raquan Davis isn't nine for me. And then the corner I wanted to get to, Trayvon Mullen at Clemson has the size. He's 6'1", about buck 95, length, speed. I think he's a high 4'3 guy. Lamar Jackson's and, cousin. Exactly. So some athletic bloodlines here. Watch Clemson play this year on defense. Trayvon Mullen is the the dude for them. So he's number eight for me. And I would not be surprised just based on scheme preference. When we get down to it, if there are teams that like him more than greedy Williams, I could definitely see him being uh, again, a, maybe a top 10 type pick. I'm definitely going to have him ranked in the, the top 10 throughout, unless there's something that pops up that we don't know about. So huge, Huge fan of Trayvon Mullen, who just continues to rise every time I, I make a new big board. Yeah, I think his name is really picking up steam. And you make a great point, Matt. Like the eye test at, at what you want from an NFL cornerback nowadays, the length, the speed, the height, the frame, it, he's got it all. So, all right, number seven through five here, Ja'Kai Polite at number seven, an absolute pass rush. That's your dude. Demon off the edge for Florida. I really do like him. I'm excited about him. It's crazy that he's actually my third-ranked edge rusher and is in my top ten. That shows you how good this pass rush class is. Number six, Quinton Williams on Alabama. Man, I love Raekwon Davis, and I was glad you got him into the top ten. Wouldn't be surprised if he finishes in my top ten. I haven't seen anyone block Quinton Williams near him yet either. So Alabama, shocking. Alabama's defensive front has top talent in this year's NFL draft. Sticking with the tide here, number five, Deontay Thompson. Man, I I don't want to get crazy here, but you talk about single high safety range. This is the best. uh, This is the best range I think I've seen since Earl Thomas. And Malik Hooker had the range, but he was used differently. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying Thompson's going to finish in the top five, but if you go by just what I've seen this season, the way he can take away the football and his ability to come up and play the run when they ask him to, I've been blown away. I think he's the best safety in this class. I love the Quinn Williams up there. Isaiah Bugs is also a very good D lineman for Alabama. All three of their it's guys are first round picks. It is unreal. Uh, Williams is the only reason he's not on my board. He's a redshirt sophomore, and I just haven't seen enough. Uh, is the only the the play I have seen. He is unstoppable. So good for you to have him up there. Seven for me, Justin Herbert, quarterback, Oregon. 
probably based a little bit on positional value here. I do still like Herbert. I think he's very accurate. He's a good athlete. There's a lot to build on there. We still don't know if you listen to the Monday morning show. We still don't know if he's going to declare or not. If he does, he'll be the number one quarterback in this class for me. Number six, Greedy Williams. Nothing I saw on Saturday changes my mind about this dude. He is a lockdown corner, has size, has length, has speed, just a special player out on the boundary. And then my number five, same as your number five, Deontay Thompson. I'm not ready to go Earl Thomas, but I see where you're coming from, man. He has range for days and has really allowed Nick Saban to run a different kind of defense this year because of everything he does over the top as a true center fielder. They're able to pressure underneath, able to walk guys up and put him out there on an island where he could just flow to the ball. It is really special to see what he's doing as a free safety for Alabama. Do you have any early NFL fits for a guy like Thompson right now, Matt, where more so than ever, because with the way the league's designed with penalties and all that yardage is given up like nothing nowadays where takeaways matter so much. Where would you like to see Thompson? Man, I actually see him like you give me a team like the Atlanta Falcons, and I know they have Keanu Neal, but they need somebody over the top, somebody who can be that player that can flip the field and has the range. The San Francisco 49ers, they, they thought they had a couple young safety prospects with Adrian Colbert, Jaquaski Tart. Neither guy has been great this year, and neither player is that true over-the-top center fielder who's just going to be like a mushroom cloud over that defense. Uh, and then, you know, there's been some smoke out there that the Arizona Cardinals might want to move on from Buda Baker. Wow. If if that's a, if something where they feel like he doesn't truly fit their scheme, it might we might be looking at a situation where they're picking early. They already have the quarterback. They have a running back. There's not a receiver you're going to draft early. Maybe you would go for someone like Deontay Thompson who might be a better fit for what they're doing defensively. All right, four through two here before we get to the Big grand finale at number one. Cleland Farrell, number four. This guy hasn't gone anywhere. He's just sat here in the top 10 for almost a year now. It was shocking. He went back to school. Yeah. He, he's been he's done everything you could ask of him. He plays hard. He's such an impressive, rounded out pass rush threat. I think he's good against the run. I love Cleland Farrell. I, I mean, if, it's almost like when you look at this class, there's a handful of players that you would bet on and say, that's a safe pick. I think Cleveland Farrell is a very, very safe pick at a position that is there's a premium put on it right now. Number three, speaking of premium positions, left tackle Jonah Williams. I don't care if people think he's a guard. I think he's a really, really good tackle. And I think at a time where offensive line around the league is so poor right now, you can't tell me that Jonah Williams should be forced into guard. I, he's very capable on the outside. He's been he's played for Alabama since he stepped onto campus. He played right tackle. Now he's flipped over to left tackle. He's been good everywhere. So I love Jonah Williams. Number two, Ed Oliver. I mean, I don't have the questions about it. People are going to overthink this player uh, because of his size or where he plays or the lack of production at Houston, whatever it may be. This guy's a force. He shoots gaps. He can beat double teams. He's stout against the run. He lives in the backfield. He absolutely destroys quarterbacks. I, I love Ed Oliver. Uh, if Ed Oliver does not finish in the top two for me at the end of the year, I, I'll do something crazy. I'll get an Ed Oliver tattoo. <laughs> there we go. Uh, somebody bookmark that. Let's remember that he said it. All right. I'm going to go quick four through three because they're very similar. Number four, Devin White. We talked about him earlier. I love this dude. Here's a Miles Jack comparison for me. As long as he stays healthy, he's going to be a very early pick. Jonah Williams also at three for me. Number two, same as you, buddy, Ed Oliver, not ready to get a tattoo, but he is up there. And number one for me, and as we're recording this, Tuesday morning, we're sitting here, and I just, my phone buzzed, I got a text, 
And somebody linked me to an article that says from the Columbus Dispatch that Nick Bosa, the number one player on both of our boards, will not return to Ohio State. He's going to focus on getting ready for the NFL draft. Wow. We've seen this before where guys get hurt. And they say, you know what? I, I got I to gotta worry about me. I'm going to start getting ready for the NFL draft. So it's he's going reported. number one. He's going number one. Tim May of the Columbus Dispatch uh, put out an article that Bosa will focus on the NFL instead of returning to Ohio State. And I got to tell you, I love it. I have no problem with this Same. at all. They, he is not. Uh, he has done his service to Ohio State. It's time to make your money. You're gonna be. At, you're gonna be the number one pick in the draft unless somebody takes a quarterback. Don't get hurt again. Go out there, start training, get ready for the NFL. We we've remember what happened to Jalen Smith against Ohio How State. Can I forget? Don't Heart, you don't want to do that? It's a smart decision, Nick Bosa. So Bosa and Oliver effectively have both declared for the NFL draft. It's it's going to be fun to see who the the number one guy is for a lot of teams. But for me, it's Nick Bosa, and I can't see anything changing that. I'm right with you. I, when you look at the situation, I, it feels like kind of Miles Garrett like again, where. There are quarterbacks in this class. I mean, we don't love them, but you, Justin Herbert's in your top 10, and we feel he has a chance to be very successful. Dwayne Haskins is a guy that's been climbing. There's no reason Nick Bosa doesn't go number one. It's that obvious. Sometimes you just know. When you put a grade on a player, he's, go, he's the best player in this draft, and he plays on the edge where Cleo Mack just brought back two first-round picks and got, what, $94 million? I mean... This stuff matters, and it's just sometimes it's we overthink this so much, right? We talk about the draft all year round. We are, you know, a rare duo. There are a couple around in media, but one of the rare duos that does it all year round, you know, 24-7, 365. Sometimes it's as simple as you just know, and in this year, Nick Bosa is a very simple evaluation. All right, guys, it's time for some draft on draft, a little more tame in this episode than our last <laughs> draft on draft a little, but still we got to knock these out. All right. Time for me to take over the, uh, the names edition botching Thank names. God. Matt's favorite thing to do at Sen Horvania. I think I got that. You guys always bring up the rumors about Justin Herbert, not being a sure fit thing for the next draft, but what would be the upside for him staying one more year instead of coming out now? I don't think there's a lot of upside, honestly, besides that he gets to yeah. play with his brother. I think a big thing that we always talk about with Herbert, and I think we've we've probably danced around the issue sometimes, and sometimes we're like, oh, let's just talk about it. A lot of scouts feel like he is not like mature enough to handle the pressure of the NFL yet. And so you, there's always that hope that, okay, one more year might help him. It, it might make him a little more ready to be the face of a franchise as a top five pick where he's going to have to go somewhere and immediately be looked at as the savior of that team. Now, is he going to be able to handle that if it's a big market like the New York Giants versus is he going to be able to handle it if it's a, you know, maybe it's a smaller market like Denver. Tampa. They decide that yeah. Tampa. Yeah. So I, I think that is probably the biggest question mark right now with Herbert other than, yeah, he wants maybe a chance to play with his brother. Uh, he's a biology major. I think he's close to graduating. So you got a couple things that maybe would bring him back. But man, I'll say this. I've been doing this job a long time and it's rare for a guy to be looked at as a potential top 10 pick. And he decides to go back to school. Like, you, that just yeah. doesn't happen very often. Exactly. It would be shocking to me if he does go back, but everyone around that's been through Oregon 
will tell you that they think he's coming back. So it's something to keep an eye on. And he's played very well recently. And the Giants, it's pretty obvious they're going to be looking for a quarterback. I think they've sent scouts to see him six times this year now. Wow. Which, I mean, we don't really put a ton of stock into scouting visits. That's a lot. That's something to note. So, all right. At The Real Forno, I have a draft-on-draft question for you. Well, we have an answer for you. (laughs) All the talk is currently about Ja'Kai Polite. Hell yeah, it is. But what are your thoughts on CeCe Jefferson's pro prospects? And where is he best suited for your starter that can play all over the line and can stand up if needed? Oh, man. Yeah, I I think with CeCe, you're right. There's not been that talk like with Polite because he's not just showing that, I I guess, the burst and the like the violence as a pass rusher that we've seen from him. But um, I'm really quickly pulling up where I have my grade on him. You know, I had him as a mid round guy headed into the year. So he's missed games. Right. And I think that's always been the question mark with him is injury. So just seeing that and, and knowing that, you know, he doesn't flash as that, you know, great disruptive guy coming off the edge, but it's definitely a name. I had him. Okay. Here it is. I am as the 85th ranked senior in football for the draft. So not great. So 85th senior, you're probably looking at about the late third, early fourth round. So, and, and obviously, you know, that could change depending on health. It could also change depending on how well he tests when it comes time for that. But, um, you know, I not super high on him at overall as a prospect. I'll say this too. The reason the polite hype is picked up is because he does things that a lot of people can't do. He's 245 pounds of pure muscle and he can plant his foot in the ground, dip and turn the quarter at corner at an angle that a lot of guys simply can't do it. And when you see that you go, okay, that's somebody I can coach up to have a, you know, the Bradley Chubb type impact that the Broncos just felt they would get by selecting him the you know it, i've said it before polite looks like melvin ingram and, yeah. and ingram has been a very very successful pass rusher in the league i mean it's just that matters that kind of stuff so that's why the hype has been and people and prospects scouts love younger players because they see the ceiling as being a lot higher so all right the next one from jim green 80 if julio jones passed 2000 receiving yards for the season but had no touchdowns <laughs> Would that be a successful season? Of course. I mean, of course it would. 2,000 yards, he, he's getting you to the red zone. If he has 2,000 yards, that means he's getting you to the red zone so often that you're clearly just, you. it's on you if you don't convert those points. Yeah, so I, at first when I read this question, I was like, no, because the goal in football is to score Good points. Good point. That's fair. Right? And, and But no, I, I mean, I agree with you. I would say that it's not a successful season based on you know, like you're coaching and scheming. If you have a guy that can get 2000 yards in the open field, but you can't find a way to get him the ball in the red zone or in the end zone, like that's a pretty big fucking problem. So I would say, I would say it's a successful individual season, but like as a group, as a team, no, that's a pretty bad, that's a pretty bad year. If you can't find a way to get Julio Jones into the end zone. Uh, Yeah, and uh, there's also this thing now where people are like, well, is Julio just a bad red zone target? And I'm like, stop it. Stop it. He's a great route runner. He's athletic. He's big. He catches everything. It's it's ridiculous. I I don't know what else to say about that. Steve Sarkeesian, that's your problem. Yeah, it's just he hasn't been the same. Look, look Kyle Shanahan do Julio in the red zone. So, right. All right, this one from Trent Crosswell. Thanks for sending me the IG message for this question, Trent. If y'all were head coaches, regardless of roster, would you run a base 3-4 three, uh, three, or a 4-3 defense? 
That's tough uh, to answer without knowing the roster, right? I I like a three four better, um, mostly because I want more athletes on the field, and Same. I think that allows you to do it. Especially, you know, now we're seeing that, you know, like in the in the NFL, especially so much more spread. So I would rather have four linebackers as opposed to four defensive linemen. Oh, yeah, I think the way the league has trended, it, it's just safe to say the three four. Makes a lot of yeah. sense. I mean, so many teams are just running this base nickel now because of being spread out. That four it, two four two five. Yeah, I mean, that my you, base. you need athletes yeah. on the field. You're seeing three safety looks. It's it's so interesting this year from talking to people that are evaluating for their teams. They're looking at guys that play safety or or corner and just thinking of multiple roles for them. Like, oh, I could take him and he'll be good as a slot, or yeah. I could take him and he'll be the third safety to rotate and you know and play deep. There's it's a good thing for secondary players because you can be a niche player and you could find a role now in the league. And that's, you know, that makes a difference. So, all right, this one from Wyatt Charter, another one from Instagram. He's got two questions for us. The first one, who are some guys that won't get first round grades that you are seeing go, that you see going in the first round? There's always a lot of these each yeah. year. I mean, yeah, I mean, true first round grades, there might be 15. anywhere from 12, yeah, yeah, 12 to 20, depending on the year. I think, you know, you can always look at quarterbacks, you know, guys who, whether it's Drew Locke, Ryan Finley, Jarrett Stidham, Will Greer, whoever it might be, and they, they've all struggled a decent amount. Those would be the guys where you feel like, okay, I don't have a round one on you, but the positional value and the need for that position means that you're probably going to go first. I mean, without a doubt, de- because you have quarterbacks that get bumped up, right? Uh, yeah. We've actually seen it with wide receiver recently. That's the most bizarre one to me. Like, I don't know, like Josh Doxson and, you know, yeah. John Ross and the, Treadwell. To yeah. Some extent. I, yeah. Treadwell did. have Yeah. To some extent. I, I think, honestly, I don't know if I'll have a first round grade on Herbert. I don't know. Maybe I will. I put a he'll go in the first round. I will guarantee you he will go in the first round. I, it's it's players like that where I'm sure there'll be receivers that'll go this year because teams need skill players. I'd be really, so I can't see a running back going in the first round this year, but it happens all the time. I was shocked that Rashad Penny went in the first yeah, round last year. You know I what mean, I mean? Like it's Terrell always, Edmonds. it's always those Terrell Edmonds. It's always those positions where Artie Burns a couple years ago. I was like, what? Yeah. Like I, and I know it's easy to cherry pick those now because they look like shit picks, but at the time you could go back and we sat there and we're like, these are shit picks. Like, it's just, uh, it's pressing for needs is what it is. So a really good question from why that is a good question. His, his second question, which kind of relates to this, in my opinion, if Dwayne Haskins continues to this level of play, where do you see his draft ceiling? And Ooh. he's a quarterback. And if he continues playing like yeah, this, and he, he interviews and tests really well. His draft ceiling is the top five because yeah. it, th- you know, what he, I've, this is a lesson I've learned. I was sitting there last year and I said, Baker Mayfield, you know, maybe he can crack the top 50. Baker Mayfield went number one overall because he's he's a good quarterback and he got better over time and teams really liked him. Uh, you know, board work. He had a great senior bowl. Yeah, great senior bowl. He's great leader, great interviews. He's a talented player. Dwayne Haskins is a very talented player. So the ceiling is is top five. But would I be shocked if Dwayne Haskins gets you know second round grades from us working together on this? No, but he has a very good chance to find himself in the first round because of the quarterback drought. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm right there with you. I, when I look at him, I, I'm reminded so much of uh, looking at Josh Allen, his sophomore year at Wyoming, 
where everybody was like, it, you would talk to scouts and they'd be like, hey, like you have to get up on this kid. You have to get up. Like he's he's talented. And you're like, oh, okay. And you start to look into it. And it's like, yeah, okay. Well, he he could go top five. And a lot of people got mad at me when I reported that, that back in 2016 that Josh Allen could go top five if he came out. Now, ultimately, he decided to go back to school. But, man, that's not comparing them at players at all, but just because of the, like you said, the need at the position, the lack of viable quarterbacks out there, maybe other than Justin Herbert makes me think if, if he takes care of business, then we could definitely see him end up being a top five pick. Even if we don't think that he's a top five player necessarily. Man, you, you nailed it. It's nothing left to say. All right, buddy. That's our show, man. A fun one. Thank you for carrying the load as we let my voice rest. Hopefully yeah, by held your own. Friday morning, it'll be back and ready to go. And Mello and I can, you know, we didn't sing Country Roads on the <sighs> Friday morning show. And I, I told him on the way to, to Baton Rouge, just like, oh, man, we didn't sing Country Roads. I bet West Virginia loses this week. And we wanted them to win because we wanted the Texas West Virginia showdown to be a good one. So, uh, yeah, our bad guys. Well, y'all, Mountaineers, y'all we better apologize. win this one uh, uh, now. I mean, when it comes down to it. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Texas for sure. back, baby. We're so back. is LSU. <laughs> Woo, man. My God, yes they are. And we will be back Friday morning. Uh, a fun show from Mello and I. We're gonna update those uh, picks and previews. We're gonna look at you know, uh, all the. The news that is happening will probably have more of an idea of what Nick Bose is doing, what DK Metcalf status will be. Going to be a fun one on Friday morning. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast, you can find Stick to Football. For Connor, I'm Matt. We'll talk to you guys soon.